You're listening to RTE Lyric Live with the RTE Concert Orchestra. The ways in which we perform and listen to live music in the Western classical tradition are full of curious customs and bizarre habits, the origins of these lost to history or obscure at best. No better case in point than expecting a stellar performer, already exhausted from hours of strenuous musicking, to get up and do it again. Encore! Encore! I'm Vlad Smishkevich, and together we'll explore the modern encore and how it came to be again and again and again. A strange animal the formal, modern Western art music concert is indeed. The audience members dress up in finery, often outdoing one another. The performers, unless they're costumed for an opera, likewise attired. Whether a soup-to-nuts recital or a specific song cycle, or even a curated set of chamber works, if the performance is outstanding, it often suggests to listeners that they should expect a little something extra if they cheer loudly enough. What will so-and-so soloist do at the end if we clap or stand? And the subtext is, we'll feel absolutely shortchanged if we don't get a musical cherry on top after our enthusiastic clapping. Truly a curious phenomenon. One of the first questions we might ask about this bizarre interchange of public behavior is, how did it all begin? By most accounts, the modern encore began gaining a toehold in the late 18th and early 19th centuries, when performances would be stopped, quite literally halted mid-action, so that a singer could repeat what they had just done. The idea here was that if they liked it once, they'll love it again the second, or even third or fourth time around. The practice must have been commonplace well by Haydn's time, since for the premiere of his beloved oratorio, The Creation, he had to print a specific request for the audience to please respect the work's continuity by not requesting encores. was Die Himmel erzählen die Ehre Gottes, the heavens are telling the glory of God, and that was from Haydn's creation, featuring the Freiburg Baroque Orchestra with Maximilian Schmidt, Johannes Weiser, Julia Kleiter and the Rias Kammerchor under René Jacobs. The word encore appears to come from French, and in that language it does certainly mean once again, more, longer, and so on. But French speakers, like Germans, actually say bis, to request a musical encore, literally twice. Likewise, Spaniards are heard to say otra, another one. The use of encore 
as a request to play an additional piece or pieces during or after a concert seems to stem from the custom at the Italian Opera of London, where the word ancora, or again in Italian, would be shouted to elicit the desired repetition of a piece, and it's this that has come down to us in its corrupted form. Ancora becomes encore. Italian music was already known in England well before the 1700s, thanks to the madrigalists of the 16th and early 17th centuries, and the seeds of this tendency were sown and had taken root by 1588, with Nicholas Young's Musica Transalpina. Italian poetry and literature also infused English writing, and the bard's own works, such as Romeo and Juliet and The Merchant of Venice, are just two of his clear examples. However, opera didn't gain a toehold in England until it had been adapted to what scholar Richard Taruskin describes as the tastes and, above all, adapted to the long-standing prejudices of the English theatre-going public. These tastes included a bent towards chorus and dance, and in particular the importance of spoken text carrying dramatic weight, as was the long-standing tradition of the English theatre. Music was very much the handmaiden of the text, reserved for entertainments between acts, for dances, effects, or on rare occasions for minor characters. The late 17th and early 18th centuries in England were a time of semi-opera, an adaptation of the comic ballet or mask. Galliard, from the music for The Tempest by Matthew Locke, played there by Il Giardino Armonico with leader Giovanni Antonini. It was with Henry Purcell and Matthew Locke that the semi-opera began transforming from insertions between theatrical speech and action into something more approaching the Italian opera that was gaining traction elsewhere in Europe. By the 1680s, Blow's Venus and Adonis and Purcell's Dido and Aeneas established a new form of musical staged drama with continuous singing and French-style overtures, foreshadowing the Italianate operas to come later in the 1700s.
excerpt from The Lament, When I Am Laid in Earth, from Henry Purcell's Dido and Aeneas. Singing the role of Dido was Lorraine Hunt-Lieberman, and the Philharmonia Baroque Orchestra and the Choir of Clare College, Cambridge, were directed by Nicholas McGeegan. To get from these sublime sounds to the excitement of Italian opera in the middle and late 18th century, however, it would take some convincing of the English public. Purcell was so loved that he was upheld as the pinnacle of what opera might and should be, at least until a small group of Italian singers and composers, in particular one German-born Mr. George Friedrich Handel, cemented opera's place in the theatres of London. Handel's operas included heroic roles, almost always sung by Castrati, who would dazzle audiences with their vocal acrobatics. But by the first decade of the 1700s, we find at last a definite record of the practice of requesting, or perhaps better put, expecting an encore. Joseph Addison, of the early 18th century journal The Spectator, noted that the custom in London was that whenever the public was particularly pleased with a song, at their crying out, Ancora! or Altro Volto, the performer would be so obliging as to sing it over again. And although the Haymarket Theatre issued a missive in 1715 forbidding singers to sing any song more than once, and discouraging the public asking for those repetitions, just two decades later Charles Burney remarked that the aria Verdi Prati from Handel's Alcina was constantly encored during its entire run. Verdi Prati, from Handel's Alcina, sung there by Philippe Jarouski, together with Le Concert d'Astre, under the direction of Stéphanie-Marie Degan at the violin. And so, from Handel's time through to the mid and late 1800s, the tradition of the encore became firmly established, at least in the vocal world. But what of instrumental encores? We know that Edward Elgar's famous march from Pomp and Circumstance was encored twice at its 1901 premiere at the Proms. But symphonic concerts tend overall to be less subject to the encore effect, festive New Year's extravaganzas notwithstanding. The most established vehicle for these musical gifts tends to be the instrumental soloist, and in particular, the pianist. And although most recitalists will provide an audience with a fitting musical thank you for their effusive applause and accolades, some players have elevated the encore to an art form, even to the point of recording entire albums of their favorite encore pieces. Let's take a quick listen to some of the encores favored by soloists over these last hundred years.
Sonatas by Scarlatti, Chopin's Polonaise, and Schumann's Toccatas would all be part of Vladimir Horowitz's encore repertoire, but some of his most often and well-loved reprises included his own potpourri arrangement of themes from Bizet's Carmen or this Etude by Moritz Moskowski. Queen of Schumann, Martha Argerich, would often favor more subdued endings for her concerts and would often choose short pieces from that composer's Kinderszenen, Opus 15, such as the evocative and dreamy Träumerei. Many violinists are renowned for enlisting some of the sturdiest warhorses for their post-recital tours de force, including high-octane Eastern European fiddle-inspired works such as Vittorio Monti's Chardash or Brahms' Hungarian Dance No. 5, but some performers have chosen a different route altogether. In 2013, violinist Hilary Hahn commissioned 26 contemporary composers to write encore works for her, plus held an open competition for the final piece. The resulting project was called In 27 Pieces, a stellar collection of works for her to perform as encores and a panoply of new short pieces from some of the best composers of our time. This is Han performing David Lang's Light Moving. Contemporary players, such as Yuja Wang, are known for dipping into the encores of past keyboard masters. She has, for example, been known to program Horowitz's arrangement of themes from Bizet's Carmen. But she also often selects from an assortment of 20th century Russian composers for her encores, such as this Tokatina from Nikolai Kapustin's Opus 40, Eight Concert Studies for Piano. Is there anything at all that unifies these encores? What is quite interesting is that these works often have no connection to the main works being offered in the artist's own concert program, 
and quite often they are fantasias, dances, or etudes, and these last works are precisely designed to practice and therefore display technical proficiency, speed, and to impart a wow factor, which leaves audiences feeling exhilarated as they depart the concert hall. In this light, Martha Argerich's introspective selections and Hilary Hahn's commissions might, in fact, be exceptions to this rule. And what of our singers? Well, we might sign off by returning to the opera world, coming full circle to those who gave us the encore, thanks to their show-stopping performances. One of the opera world's most recognizable encores is this bravura aria from Puccini's Turandò, Nessun Dorma. Since its premiere less than a hundred years ago, it has remained a mainstay of tenor showcase arias, and naturally, of encores. The version here is made even more memorable by the fact that this, a second encore to the concert in question, was sung not by one, but by three tenors. Placido Domingo, José Carreras, and Luciano Pavarotti had just finished performing a trio concert, with Zubin Mehta directing the orchestras of the Maggio Musicale Fiorentino and the Teatro dell'Opera di Roma. This was the evening before the 1990 World Cup final. A first encore was performed, the Neapolitan favorite O Sole Mio, after which the three reprised the Puccini aria which Pavarotti had earlier sung solo. The effect of the second encore's finale was undeniably rousing, as the three tenors sang the final word, Vincero, I will win, individually and then together. The entire audience stood in ovation, even before the orchestra had finished playing the final bars of the aria. was Nessun Dorma, the second encore from the three tenors in concert, featuring Luciano Pavarotti, José Carreras, and Placido Domingo, together with Zubin Mehta directing the Maggio Musicale Fiorentino and the Teatro dell'Opera di Roma orchestras. Our journey to the roots of the encore has taken us there and back again, exploring exhilaration and introspection in the art of the post-recital offering. We'll close our time together with the latter, to make room for whatever comes next. This is another selection from Hilary Hahn's Encore Project in 27 Pieces. It's a work by Ukrainian composer Valentin Silvestrov, titled Two Pieces. I'm Vlad Smishkevich, and I look forward to joining you again here on RTE Lyric FM. Again, un'altra volta, one more time, Encore.
You're listening to RTE Lyric Live with the RTE Concert Orchestra.